you know, I, I think back to some of the really tough parts of like, I got Giardia up in the Yukon, woke up in my sleeping bag in the middle of the night, pooping myself, had no toilet paper, had no wipes, had no bathroom. It's like snowing outside and raining. And I, I'm literally, I have crap in my sleeping bag and all over me. How's that for an intro? Welcome to the Skin Track Podcast. I'm so excited for this new episode. What you just heard was a clip from my interview with Cody Hughes about his expedition from Salt Lake City, where he biked with his friend Clay across the US, across Canada, across Alaska, uh, taking gear, um, all of his ski gear, everything necessary for an expedition on Denali. He then hiked that gear with his friend Clay across uh, frozen tundra, rivers, uh, glacier, snow bridges, and proceeded to climb and then ski off the top of Denali. This is just an awesome story. It was so great to hear from him and get more detail on it. So uh, I first heard of Cody a few years ago. We both live in Salt Lake City, and we bumped into each other a few times in the backcountry and have mutual friends. But Cody isn't someone, or at least 13 years ago, wasn't someone you would have expected to end up on a podcast like this. 13 years ago, he was aiming to a uh, pro golfing career, living in Tennessee, and had only been out to the West like once. He was, um, uh, he eventually moved here where he learned to snowboard, uh, backcountry adventure, split board, and in a short amount of only 13 years, had more backcountry adventures um, in the Wasatch, in the Pacific Northwest, Norway, Alaska, than most people do in their entire lives. Today's episode in particular focuses on that expedition from Salt Lake City to Alaska, um, and then climbing and skiing off Denali. So, so excited about this one. And yeah, let's hear from Cody. Thanks. I'm so excited to hear about this trip to Denali. Um, I've been up to the park, um, flew in from Talkeetna once. We were just there, but unfortunately the weather was bad. So we got kind of skunked and ended up um, near Valdez. But uh, I, I can't even fathom riding a bike from Salt Lake City to Alaska and some of the adventures along the way. Like, like some of the things that are the craziest to me is actually hiking into the base camp in Denali. Like when I look at that glacier and, you know, I didn't actually see the approach you guys did, but that just seems like such a slog and with all that gear. So I'm so excited to talk to you more about that. But how, like what, I mean, do you have bike packing or um, mm -hmm. was this kind of one of your first trips? Yeah, I've been bike packing for a few years. Um, I did a trip when I was 23. Um, I... I, I I was actually at a one of the adventure speaker series at Snowbird and I watched like a Brody Levin talk and he talked about like riding home for Thanksgiving or something. And that like had kind of like I was like, oh wow, like riding across the United States on a bicycle, that sounds really cool. And I'd sort of made up my mind I was gonna do it then. Like that's kind of how I am. Like I just like I get my mind gets fixated on something. And um, yeah, let's see. So I, I did that trip. I actually ended up doing that trip at 23. I, I did it with a dog on the back of my bike and I rode across, I rode from like Salt Lake to Nashville, then to New Orleans and then to Orlando. Um, and I had like a four month old border collie when I started and that was really cool. I raised money for veterans. My brother was a veteran, uh, veteran along the way. 
but yeah, I just kept bike touring. I kept bike packing and um, I was on a trip with a friend who, um, I, another older guy, mentor of mine who I met ski touring. And we were having this long day up in Idaho bikepacking and we finished the day and he, we kept talking about like, wow, what's the next big adventure and what's the next big trip? And um, he mentioned biking to Denali and he had mentioned like climbing and skiing and climbing and doing it from the original route. And that's sort of how the idea came up was like just at this random campground um, outside of Loa and in, 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 um, in Idaho. And I remember waking up the next morning and being like, I'm going to do that trip and trying to come up with the style of how I wanted to do it. And I was like, dude, we should just carry all of our stuff with us and trailers, skis, like, and not ship anything ahead. And, uh, yeah, we should, we should get a couple other people on board, like my friend Clay and Freddie. And it was going to, and my friend Ray was who I was with at the time. And, um, yeah, that's sort of how the, the, the idea transpired. And like, I was a hundred percent in like right then. I was like, yeah, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this trip. Um, and that was in July. Okay. So I, I, I saw got... this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I saw you had these giant bike trailers, which makes sense. Cause like, I mean, even packing for an expedition to Denali, like when, when we've gone and we haven't even gone to ski Denali, <clears throat> we're just like, when we went, we camped in between, um, Forker and, uh, let's see. Yeah. I guess it was in the West Fork of the Cahilton, I want to say. Anyway. Like, I mean, it's duffel bag on duffel bag on duffel bag. So, like, I yeah. saw your rig. It was huge, but yeah. still way small for an expedition. So, like, did you have to make decisions on what to leave out? I mean, obviously you would, but, like, yeah. thinking about climbing Denali with everything on your bike, what was the decision-making process there? We just kind of, Clay and I, uh, so Ray ended up bailing, and my friend Freddie ended up bailing, so it ended up just being, like, me and Clay committed to this thing throughout the year and coming up with all coming up with everything, um, what we we're going to carry. And so we both bought bikes. We both bought the same trailers. Um, the trailers were nice because we could take the trailer off of the bike without having to take the through axle off. So it just connected by these little balls on the outside of the through axle. Um, we just sat down in the garage and we were just like, okay, we need two tents. We need a cook tent. We need a, um, we need a four season tent. Um, and the cook tent is basically what we'll sleep in on the way up. So we're trying to figure out like, how can we utilize the gear, right. For like bikepacking and for climbing the mountain. And that's sort of what it came down to. Um, and there's of course that there was gear, like I like, like sleeping bags, for instance, you know, like clay brought like a negative 40 degree, like bag, you know, like, uh, the entire trip. And he obviously didn't need that biking up, but you don't want to carry two sleeping bags, right? I had like a negative 25 degree bag with a liner. And, and and then we had like down our down pants, our booties. And we we're like, okay, well, our booties will work as like camp booties as we're going up. And we didn't bring a lot of clothes. Like I brought a pair of chamois. Clay actually went chamois because he just wore like a leather saddle and very minimal clothing. Um, I think we may have bought a shirt or two along the way. Um, yeah. And then your, you know, your socks. Um, I mean, just, yeah, kind of figuring out like, what do we need? And we brought two stoves, um, uh, to like a whisper light and an XGK. Um, cause you know, cause we wanted, we knew we were going to be going through rural areas in Canada without resupplies for days. And so we were, we just wanted to be able to fill up with, you know, unleaded gasoline in our, in our stoves. So, um, so how was that? I heard, um, I read an article about it. This was years ago, but something about, yeah, like 
not only was it rural, but you guys went for long stretches where you thought you could replenish some of your supplies for food and you just couldn't. So you were basically foodless for a while. Yeah. So basically like we got to the end of the Cassiar highway and we, we were like, okay, we're going to get a resupply at this little store. And there, we had called ahead and they were like, yeah, we have food, whatever. And we had called like weeks prior and we get there and all they have is like candy bars and chips. Like they had nothing. And all we had were, was pancake mix, some a little bit of peanut butter and jelly. And so we were like, uh, okay, so it was like 250 miles to Teslin. And unfortunately, like you're just, you're committed to doing like 60, 70 miles a day. Like I think our biggest day was maybe like 86 miles or something. Um, and how you heavy just, was your setup? I mean, because 80 miles average, on like a road bike is a good exercise, but like when you're bike packing and that's just with bags, like not carrying a huge trailer. Yeah. I would say that's the trailer, like dry weighs 25 pounds, bikes similar 25, 30. And we estimated that we had like 150 pounds worth of gear, depending on food. Like if we had food, we probably were pushing like 160 for sure. Your, your last like city before you got into Denali, cities hard to say, but that's probably Talkeetna, right? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, this is kind of the part of the story that's, 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 that's quite magical. We, um, so we, we bike all the way up there. We get like the day before we're going to get to Talkeetna and Clay and I just had this like overwhelming anxiety. We're just like, first off, we're not climbing Denali by the standard route. We're climbing it by the Muldrow Glacier, which is the way it was originally climbing. That's on the north side of Denali. So we find out that the park road's not open. And so the, from where we want to hike in is at the end of the park road and that's wonder Lake. And that's an 84 mile gravel road. That's only accessible by the park buses by like a tour, right? Like you can bike it. You can bike it. Yeah. So you can bike it, but we had to get all of our food out there. Right. So there's no way that we could put 35 days for two people worth of food on our bicycles and get it out there. So we had to figure out how to get our food to wonder lake and like there's some bear lockers because it's a campground so how like but there's there's the buses aren't running and so we're like okay well they're only running 40 miles up that road and then we had to figure out so that that was giving us overwhelming anxiety and then we're like well who's gonna do that for us even if we can like get our food 40 miles out there right um and then we're like how are we gonna get our bikes back because we were going to do a traverse. We were going to start on the north side, walk across the tundra, which is like 23 miles, to McGonagall Pass, get on the Muldrow Glacier, climb Denali, and then come down the West Buttress on the south side. And then we were attempting to go all the way down the Cahildna through Exit Pass and pack raft back to Talkeetna. That was like a, like a traverse, I know, right? A, a bit ambitious, which we found out later on. But we, we <laughs> but the whole trip was a bit ambitious and it worked out. So, yeah, I mean, we're like, yeah, it's working for us so far. We're just kind of winging it. Um, and that was kind of the, 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 the nature of the entire trip. It's like, you just can't plan for a trip like that. You just, I knew that we needed to do, we need to average 60 miles a day to make it to Talkeetna in time to do our orientation meeting with the Rangers. And so we kind of boxed ourselves in with time. We only got to take two days off the entire journey up there, which took us 60 days to get to Talkeetna. Exactly. Um, so you guys did at least 60 miles a day. Well, at least an average of 60 miles a day for 60 days 
with two days of rest while pulling 150 pound rigs. Like I know you're pretty humble and you're not wanting to like, uh, you know, uh, hype yourself up, but like, so I was watching this and if you would have asked me like, what's the chance these two guys from Salt Lake actually make it to Denali, actually get to the base, actually climb it and actually ski off the top. Like, no, the chances are so slim. I mean, cause yeah. you guys were, I mean, it, it was kind of a miracle trip. Yeah, it was. Did we, I'm not kidding, man. Like we look back on it and we had so many freaking things go our way. Like, so like clay just, for instance, like clay just drove the Cassiar highway in April back in like the end of April, right when we were there in 2019 and he was, cause he moved to Juneau for the summer and he was t- taking photos and he was like, dude, it's still like four feet under snow. The road is ice. Like we wouldn't have been able to even ride our bikes on it. And it was like greening up when we were there. Like, yeah, there was definitely some snow, but it wasn't that bad. Um, but like on a year like this, we 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 would have gotten shut down. And I think we would have probably ended up going the Alcan. But e- either way, like we just – and we didn't know. Like we were just kind of winging it and we had just so many, so many things go our way. So – we're, we're, we're like pulling up and like, we're like, you know, 50, 40, 50 miles from Takino. We stop at this bar and then we're going to sleep there that night. We have some food, we have some drinks and we sleep on their outside patio. Like that was kind of the theme of the trip. Like we would like go into a restaurant and like close it down and be like, oh shit, like where are we going to sleep? And we'd like talk to the bartender or someone that maybe owned the restaurant. And we're like, can we like just sleep out back? You know, we did that so many times. It was, it was funny. Um, we wake up the next morning and, and, and we like, we would, we were hesitant to get to Talkeetna. So we would just like bike three or four miles, get off our bikes, sit down. And then, um, so no wait, explain this to me. Um, why were you so hesitant to get to Talkeetna? I think you're explaining a little bit this anxiety, but it's not quite landing to me. So yeah, for I'll, sure. I'll we say just like, like what I'm seeing, like what I'm seeing is, um, like, well, one climbing Denali is a freaking scary thing. Like it is a big mm-hmm. mountain and not only like, not only climbing it, but getting there, like you guys have to climb. I, I don't know how, how many miles of glacier did you have to traverse to get to the base of the route? Uh, we had to go 23 miles across the tundra. Um, and there was no snow, but it was not, there wasn't really a trail. The, the last like four or five miles, there was like an old, there's like a climber's trail. Um, but there's really not a very distinct trail with, 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 with one very scary river crossing. Um, crossing so, but you the, did have to do some glacier traversing. Into totally. Bay yeah, so that was right? just to get, that was just to get to McGonagall pass. And then we had to go from McGonagall pass onto the Muldrow glacier. And that's when we started dragging our sleds. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, cr- you know, crossing the Muldrow, um, pulling sleds. Like, I don't know how much glacier experience you have, but like, that's an intimidating thing right there, right? Like, oh, I have to forge a path and oh, dude, it was... figure out where to go, be roped up probably the whole time. Yeah. I mean, my experience was, I was, I wouldn't say it was like very extensive. I'd spent, um, as far as glaciers go, I'd spent, I climbed and skied like the a lot of volcanoes in the Pacific Northwest. I'd skied a few routes on Rainier at that point. Um, I had spent time in the Southern Alps of New Zealand, um, a, a couple of weeks and that, that was, that's pretty heavily glaciated. Um, and I'd spent some time in Norway 
um, on on glaciated peaks in Norway. So I was I was pretty familiar with 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 route finding on glacier. However, though the north side of Denali was was definitely a whole other beast. Um, it was it's it's broken, it's open. So you go through um, two major ice falls, one called the lower ice fall, and then the second being the great ice fall. Um, navigating through those was was scary. Um, yeah, it, it, you know, dragging a sled, we made some mistakes. Um, we should have like dropped our sleds, found our way through there without our sleds, and then um, came back and got our sleds once we found a route through. But instead, we you know, we're route finding through these things, dragging these sleds and hitting dead ends and having to turn around and then like downhill skinning right next to like giant holes with our sleds. You know, it was, it was kind of stupid. We should have just picketed our sleds right then. Um, but, but yeah, to, to kind of step back, the anxiety was just like, okay, like how are we going to get our food over there and how are we going to get our bikes back? And like, who's going to do this for us? Right. So this is where it kind of all came together. And so we, we just say, okay, we're going to bike into Talkeetna. We're going to go to the Denali brew pub because it just so happened that when we were in Glen Allen, which is like a week prior on the, in the, just outside of um, the Matanuska Valley, we, we, we were sitting down at this place called Tok Thai. Right. And, uh, and it's a little hole in the wall Thai place on the side of the road. Super good Thai food. And this guy walks up to us and, and, and people were curious. They're like, dude, like, your guides look like a gypsy junk show, like biking down the road. Like, where are you coming from? And like, where are you going? And so we're like, hey, yeah, we're coming from Salt Lake and we're going to go try and climb and ski Denali. And the guy was like, wow, that's super ambitious. And his name was Sasan and he actually owns the Denali Brew Pub. And so he started that. And so he was a climbing guide. Um, he was a guide on Denali for the Alaska Mountaineering School back in the day. So we start getting data from him and he's like, hey, here's my number. When you guys get to Talkeetna, give me a call. So we got to Talkeetna, we gave him a call and he drove from his house down to the brew pub and met us and we start just like shooting the shit. He buys us dinner and beers. I walk out to my bike and I'm like grabbing something off my bike and this guy walks up to me and he's like asking me the same questions. Like, where are you coming from? And um and I told him, and he, and he he looked at me, and he was like, "How are you going to get your bikes back from Wonder Lake?" And I'm like, "Dude, I have no idea." I'm like, "We just got into town. We got a couple of days till we meet with the Rangers." He's like, "How are you going to get your food out there?" And I'm like, "Same shit. Like, I have no idea." And he's like, "Well, you just met the right person." And I'm like, "What?" And he's like, "Yeah, I am the manager of the park serve of the buses for Denali National Park, and I have been for 25 years." And I'm like, I'm like, can I buy you a drink? Like, can you come sit down? And so he came and sat down with us, him and his friend Grizz. And um, yeah, so we sit down, we start, we start talking. And Sasan, Grizz, and oh my God, I don't know why I'm blanking on his name right now. I've got his number saved in my phone. But the gentleman that's the the manager of the bus service is like, um, boys, don't worry about it. We got you taken care of. So turns out what happened was those three got together and they came up with a plan on how they were going to like pull this off for us. Um, the manager of the park service called the superintendent of Denali national park and asked him if he could do a training ride with some new employees that were going to be driving the bus that year, all the way out to wonder Lake and drop our food off for us. And then do another training ride, um, with some other employees to pick up our bikes once we got there. And Sasan was going to drive the 250 miles around to McKinley Park and pick up our bicycles and bring them back to Talkeetna for us. That way, when we got back to Talkeetna, they'd be there. So they wow. put that whole plan together like right then, and that was done. 
it was that it was like that it was like we rolled into town and it was like these people the i mean i'm sure you've experienced it too like the people of talkeetna are just so generous and so humble and so kind and so willing to help and share and um it was just like clay and i were almost in tears just could not we were flabbergasted at how anxious and nervous we were about how we were going to pull this off 10 minutes prior to and then all of a sudden it was like we roll into Talkeetna, we sit down for a beer, and these three people just were like, oh, we can we can handle all that for you. We just met the right people at the right time. And it was it was freaking amazing. It was it was it was wow. like Wow. Yeah. So like Yeah, yeah. So was, cool. Was, I, I mean they rolled out the red carpet for you guys. And and this is kind of what I'm saying is oh. like it's amazing that you're able to just go <laughs> I mean, because who shows up to Talkeetna? And when asked a simple question of like, okay, how are you pulling off this trip that you've planned and literally bike from Salt Lake City to do? And you're like, I don't know. Like, we'll see. And like, we got you. I mean, yeah. How amazing. We, we've seen just a little bit of that in Alaska, not to that extent, but like stuff like, you know, pilots. Uh, do, did you end up flying? You ended up flying out of Denali, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I've flown with them a couple of times being up there other times. Um, I flew with TAT, Paul oh, Roderick. Yeah. 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 That, yeah, yeah Paul that would be and like, so, Oh, here's my cell phone. And yeah, text me and I'll give you updates yeah. on weather conditions. And I'm like, you've yeah. got to be doing this for so many people. I feel like such a burden. And they're like, nah, we gotcha. I mean, yeah, the yeah. people in Alaska are really one. They're really psyched to see these adventures get done up there too. Like, I think they really cool. get a real thrill in showing like how amazing their place is to all of us too. So, okay. Oh, so wow, this is amazing. Okay. So, you get up there, you get your food dropped off. They're going to pick up your bikes, but you've still got to go like 20 miles of frozen tundra. Um, and then I don't know how long up the glacier, but like, you can't do all this in one load, right? Right. Yeah. So we, um, yeah, so we have our meeting with the Rangers. They're like, um, we actually had a meeting with, uh, Mark Westman, Who's like a legend wrote some a lot of the books up there um climbing guides and he was a ranger up there for 20 years or something and we meet him in our meeting and he tells us about a trip his first trip on denali in the alaska range was to attempt to climb the Muldrow glacier and he got to the harper glacier at fifteen thousand six hundred feet in april and got stuck in a storm for like a week and him and his buddies were like were sitting in a tent at 120 mile per hour winds with a tent. They were like, like laying flat in their face and he thought he was going to die up there. got frostbite, um, him and his buddy and had to retreat back down the, um, Carson's Ridge and back out the Muldrow and didn't even summit. And so he's telling us that. And we're like, Oh my God. Like at that point it was like May, it was like May 20th, 21st. And nobody had summoned Denali yet because of the winds that year. Um, so you know, we were kind of freaked out. We we're like, Oh, wow. Yeah. Anyways, just like the rest of the trip, we're just going to wing it. And, you know, I mean, we're, 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 we're experiencing the mountains and, and we feel comfortable being in that, in those, in, in, in the mountain, in those mountains. Um, but yeah, we're definitely skeptical. So, so, so we bike around to wonder Lake. Um, that takes us like six or seven days. I guess it's like another week of biking basically from Talkeetna to get to wonder Lake. Um, and when, we got to the park entrance, which is that 84 mile gravel road. We actually ended up running into this guy that was bikepacking and he had just happened to get a permit to hike to McGonagall pass. And so this guy was on a journey. His name was Isaac and, um, Isaac Denny, and he was biking from dead horse 
down to Ushuaia, South America. So the northern tip of North America to the southern tip of South America. And he was going to bike pack it. And so he was doing like 80% of it off road. And we just happened to meet at the, at, and he was taking time to hike. And this was one of those like times off the bike where he was going to go hike to McGonagall Pass. And so we were like, oh, that's where we're going. And he's like, oh, what a coincidence. And he like in, ends up like biking with us to Wonder Lake and volunteers to help us double shuttle our gear across the tundra. And I totally sandbagged this dude because I'm like, all right, dude, like if you help us, like we've got extra, we got a, he got a backpack. He borrowed a backpack from someone. And um, I'm like, if you help us, I bet we can get there in like two days. Well, day one, um, we go like three and a half miles. And that was like double Wait, carrying. Why? Like, so like we would walk like three and a half miles, drop off all of our gear, three of us, walk back, grab another load. And so we had a double shuttle. And then we'd walk that three and a half miles. So basically walking three and a half miles was walking nine or 11, 10 and a half miles. Right? Yeah, like, you know, like 14 miles. miles, right? Because it's. 14 because it'd be three and a half, then three and a half back, then three and a half to drop it off, then three and a half back. And that's even if no, you're so, 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 no, so we just had to, we just had to pick up our loads once. So we just had to go like three and a half, come back three and a half, and then go back three and a half. So basically it would take like, you know, 12, 14 hours a day um, because we had river crossings. We had a creek crossing. We had route finding not to mention we had heavy loads and you're walking across the tundra it wasn't frozen but it was like very uneven ground wasn't super easy travel it was pretty slow um and so we'd walk 12 to 14 hours a day but only covered like three and a half four miles right and so it ended up taking us like and by day on day two i looked at isaac and i'm like dude i am like so and we agreed to feed him and stuff because we had plenty we had extra food but i'm like i'm so sorry like you know um, you please like don't feel like you have to continue because it, 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 it was it was it was suffering like I wouldn't say suffering it was just it was it was very challenging and it was super difficult and like and you know you just you're carrying you're you're carrying somebody else's food you're you're a part of somebody else's journey just to walk away from it like he wasn't invested in it right but he was just like the a, just one of the you know a super kind like giving he was just psyched to be off of his bike and um for him to just put all that energy and effort into watching us to help us succeed in our you know in our journey was just and he was like no man i'm cool like he was just had a positive attitude he was psyched he was like man it's no big deal it's just nice to be off the bicycle and like hang out with like-minded people and i was like oh my gosh man this is because, dude, it was hard. It was fucking raining. We were crossing rivers with heavy backpacks. And here this dude is carrying our food for us for five and a half days all the way to McGonagall Pass just to turn around and walk back out by himself. You know, like, it was it was wild. It was wow. wild. Yeah. Amazing. It was, it was yeah, you guys, honestly, the stars aligned on this trip. This is amazing. Okay, so when you get to the Muldrow Glacier, can mm -hmm. you take everything on one load in a sled? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we we started we started up the Muldrow, um, dude. I like in in a rush of packing. Like we, f I forgot my solar panel. So Clay and I got to the bait. We spent all so we couldn't travel during the day because that low on the glacier um, is isothermal. So you have to wait for it to refreeze. So we're traveling at night. We travel all through the night. We walk like eight nine hours. And dude, like I I all my spare batteries, all my um, all my uh, or my solar panel, my spare batteries, and everything I left in McGonagall Pass, and that's like the one time 
on the whole trip that Clay got really mad at me like that, you know, and he, I was totally my fault. Like I just, I blew it. And so we had to drop our gear, set up camp, drop our gear. Our feet are like raw and like go back to McGonagall pass and get our shit. Wow. Get our, get our so that added what? Like another 40 miles. Just, just, just another night. Like and there's not a night, not even a night. Like just probably because we weren't carrying loads at that point and we could follow our track. We took our skins off and just like pulled as hard as we could once it froze and it was frozen, but still it took us a couple hours to get back to McGonagall pass two and a half, three hours. And then another two and a half, three hours to walk back to our tent. Clay was pissed and we had to be roped up because the glacier was broken. Cause I told Clay, I was like, dude, I'll just go by myself you know, in kind of in a frantic, like worry. Cause I, I was so bummed that I did that to him. And, uh, he was like, no dude, like you gotta be, we gotta be roped up. Like you can't go down there and not roped up. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. You know? Oh, so I see. Okay. So this was on the Muldrow glacier back to the path. So this was, yeah. yeah Think about I that gotcha. Oh, I feel like such an idiot. Uh, you know? I mean, not to mention like we were just exhausted, you know, we were exhausted and I just, you know, and we, we packed up quick and, it was just stupid. I just, they're black. They blended in with the rocks. I left them sitting there. So, but then we're at the base of the ice fall, you know, of the lower ice fall. And the next day we go to make it through the lower ice fall. And like I said, we should have dropped our sleds and found our way through, but we didn't. And, um, I come up to this like little, uh, snow bridge and I tell clay, I'm like, Hey, keep me tight on belay here. I got a snow bridge. So he's below me. And I'm like, give me a little slack though. And so he gives me a little slack and I walk across a snow bridge and it like collapses on me. And as it collapses, I like jump to the other side of it. And like, I barely, I'm barely making all this little mushroom of snow. And, uh, and my sled, I forgot him. I was dragging my sled, right? So all of a sudden, luckily I had my ice axe out in my hand. My sled goes into the hole and it's just like a free hanging, you know, probably, I don't know, like 30 or 40 feet deep. And my sled just like jerks me super hard. And I was able to arrest on this little mushroom and my skis are hanging off the edge. And it was, it was sketchy. It was, it was probably the sketchiest part of, of the trip as far as the mountains go. Um, it's kind of surprising that with like um, a static shock of all that weight on your sled that you actually held on and that your ax didn't like bust out or anything. Oh, for sure. I, I was super lucky. And like, I, uh, yeah, I mean, we were using what were we using a sixty meter round line, I think, is what we had, um, and so we we make it through the lower ice fall, and dude, we did a huge push that day. We went through the lower ice fall, through the great ice fall, up to like a we climbed like six thousand feet with these sleds that day, just trying to get up there, and then we were fucking exhausted. I slept. Me and Clay both slept. I think it was twenty hours straight. I'm not shitting you. We. We slept for like 10 or 12 hours. We woke up and we looked at each other and our eyes are just like, can't even open them. We ate some food, called right back into the sleeping bag and slept for another like eight or 10 hours. Just exhausted. Um, so what elevation is this at now? Probably like 14-ish or lower? About, we're about 11,000 feet at that point. Yeah, we're 11. about 11,000 feet. And it was a, so amazing, man. The north side of Denali, it was just no one over there. Um, Alpenglow all afternoon all morning um just yeah just you fucking felt out there you know like and you're on this whole other side of the mountain then like i said there's just and you know just on the other side of 14 camp right there's just a circus of people um but it's so far away and uh so we we have to to get up to the carson's ridge we got to climb this like thousand foot 
you know, uh, kind of thing. And so we had to double carry to get up to the Carsons, to get to the top of the Carsons. That's like 12-2. So we spent a day doing that. And we were camped right on this ridge at the base of the Carsons Ridge. And it was just, dude, you're overlooking like Mount Brooks and, um, you know, the north side, of, kind of the north side of Denali. And, and you're right next to the Harper Glacier. And it's just, dude, it's fucking unreal. And like, we had really good weather. And um, it was just, it was amazing. And so we wake up the next morning and we got to climb from like 12,200 feet to 14,000, like 100 feet. And that's called Brown's Tower, the Brown's Ta- Tower Camp. And that's like right at the top of the Carstens Ridge. And so, of course, it's steep, pretty steep snow climbing. So we couldn't carry all of our weights. So we had to double carry. So we spend the day booting up this up this ridge um, with these big heavy packs. And as we're going up, it's like blank because we're going to ski the ridge back down to get our to get our, uh, our, our, our next load. And I'm like, I poke out and I dig a couple snow pits and I do a couple stability tests and look at some layering. And I'm like, you know, just to make sure when we ski back down, right, that we're not going to get lanched over this like 4,000 foot ice fall. And we get up there and we take a little nap and um, we wake up and it's like, I think it was time really didn't exist at that point. It was like morning time. And it was like, we get out of our tent and it's just like glistening snow crystals and it snowed a little bit and we skied the Carson's Ridge back down to our um back down to our cache and it was like dude it was like 2000 feet 2100 feet or so of like just blower just amazing incredible like some of the best snow maybe because of just the set and the setting and you're skiing right next to this like all fall line and I'm a snowboarder with my left foot forward so it was this this like big right hand wave down the Carson's Ridge, just beautiful powder skiing all the way down the Carson's Ridge back to our cache. And that just got us all fired out. Wow. Oh, dude, it was, it, that was the best skiing of the trip. I mean, the Carson's Ridge was just, it was incredible. Um, so, we, yeah, we, yeah. we double carry wow. ourselves back up to Brown's, back up to Brown's Tower, and we get up there and we sleep and we sleep and we sleep. And uh, yeah. And then we kind of started, you know, we were, so we're on the top of the Harper Glacier at that point. So we have transitioned from the Muldrow to the Harper and we're 14,100 feet or so. And we have to do this big traverse over to like 15,000 feet. We had to double carry that. And then we're on the top of the Harper Glacier and we did a full push to Denali Pass. It's like 18,100 feet or so. And we actually set up the mega mid at Denali Pass, which is, I, I, we might be the only people to ever have slept, been stupid enough to to, to sleep in a mega mid at eighteen thousand one hundred feet. So, at for people who don't know, yeah, th- there's a ton of like lingo we're using, but like, so the mega mid is basically it's a single pole tarp, um, right. right? Like, exactly, it works. Floorless. It's like a cook tent at, at low, at, yeah, low elevation. It doesn't have a floor; it just goes over the top. But it is not something you would ever think to like pitch at eighteen thousand feet. No, no, but dude, we were so tired and we we're so out of it. And it was so freaking hot that day. And like, we just set up this, we, we like crawl, we just crawl into the tent, no sleeping bags, just laying on the ground in our down gear. And we're both about to fall asleep. And I hear this person go, Cody. And I'm like, I'm like, what? It's going, somebody say my name, Cody. And I open the tent and I climb out and it's my buddy, Dave, Dave Weber. And he's a client. He was a climbing ranger up in Denali National Park. Uh, a legend of a guy. He's also um, 
a flight medic um, for Life Flight here in Salt Lake, and uh, I had been talking with him about the trip, and he knew I was coming. And yeah, he was at Denali Pass, and he he was on a, a patrol, and he was stationed at 17 Camp on that patrol, and he had just climbed up to the North Summit, and he was coming back. He was like, are you guys going to sleep in that tonight? And I'm like, well, the weather actually looks like pretty nice. So yeah, I think so. And he's like, oh my God. So he's like, well, well, hopefully you guys will summit tomorrow. It looks like you guys got weather in like two days, but it looks like tomorrow you guys will get a, you guys will get a summit maybe. And I'm like, yeah, we'll see hopefully. And well, hopefully we'll see you at 17 camp. And so he leaves. And as soon as he leaves, man, like, dude, my head starts pounding and I just eaten uh, like a mountain house meal and I just, and, and my head's pounding. I start vomiting everywhere. Um, and I'm pretty sure I had altitude sickness just because we went from like 14 to 18 so fast. Plus I was so fatigued. Like it was just a hot, hot day. Um, yeah, you hadn't been spending much time. Like you guys were obviously, well, one, you pushed it for almost 60 days straight, uh, just to get to, am I right? Like just to get to Talkeetna or just to get to at least. Yeah, to Talkeetna. And then you add, I'm just adding this up here, but it's like, I'm, it sounds like another 12 days to get, you know, oh, yeah. um, you got to do the bike ride, you got to cut across the tundra, then you're going up the Muldrow. I mean, you, we were moving up the Muldrow too, because we were moving up the Muldrow too, because we do, we had such good weather, you know, and it was just one of those things where we'd wake up and we were like, other than like that 20 hours of sleep, it, it, we like had the weather and we were like, dude, we just got to go. Like, we got to move. Like, we don't like acclimating, like we'll acclimate as we go. And we like rested at Brown's tower at 14,000 feet and quote unquote, kind of acclimated, but we were worried about getting so, shut down. Yeah. So what were you thinking when you're sitting here at 18,000 feet, you're starting to throw up. I mean, I go down. these aren't like mild symptoms of no, it was pretty severe. Uh, altitude sickness. This is pretty severe. Yeah. What are you yeah. thinking? Like, and not just like, Oh, I got to lay down, but I'm trying to put myself in your shoes. And a handful of times I keep thinking, Oh, there were so many excuses or so many reasons that you guys could have been like, yeah, it's not going to happen. And we will have had an amazing trip biking up to Denali. We will have skied. We'll have done a, a cool adventure. But like, yeah, what were you thinking? I was my, so my buddy, Adam gave me, um, he, he got, he was guiding for Alaska Mountaineering School in Tucky. He was in Tucky and he gave me some Diamox and some, uh, some, uh, some, uh, decks as well. And dude, I like couldn't find it. Another classic Cody mistake. Like, fuck, I lose the medication I need, and I can't find it. And so now I'm sitting there with no altitude medication, and I'm like, crap. Like, I got to go down. I just, I, I got to go down. And I told Clay, I was like, I'm gonna try and fall asleep. I'm gonna see in my head, dude. It felt like somebody had a jackhammer inside my head, or like a sledgehammer. I mean, I've never had a headache that bad. And I couldn't keep food down, and so. I'm like, I'm just going to close my eyes and try to just like, cause I, we were so close and if I felt like if we went down to the Harper further down, back down to Brown's tower and we, we slept down there and then we, we I feel like we we're going to be stuck there for a few days because of weather. And so, but is falling asleep? Like you've got to be thinking, do I have, uh, you know, pulmonary edema? What else is going on here? Is falling asleep yeah, a I good idea? probably not. I mean, I think there's a lot of decisions we made on this trip that probably weren't the best idea that worked. 
out in our favor um a lot of luck but i i definitely wasn't i didn't feel like i had fluid in my lungs i didn't have crackles um none of that it was definitely early stages of altitude mountain sickness i think uh or high altitude you know uh, just yeah ams um but yeah i i yeah I, I i i i fell asleep and i woke up like eight hours later and i roll over and i look at clay and i'm like dude did you sleep? He's like, no, I can't fucking breathe. I can't. He's like, he's like, I'm just like, I'm just, I can't barely sleep because sleeping at altitudes, like, obviously, it's really difficult, and I'm sure you've done it. And he's like, dude, you were out for like eight hours. Honestly, no, never, never anything like that. I've never been up above. I don't even think fourteen thousand. I haven't been above fifteen thousand. So no, I mean, even at like fourteen thousand, I feel it. Yeah, and so I was like blown away i was shocked i was like uh checking my body like okay like my headache's gone pretty much it's kind of still there but not really i feel so much better than i did when i went to sleep i have no appetite i can't eat i clearly have nothing on my stomach because i vomited all up like right next to the tent and i'm like but dude like let's go like we had good weather it was like sun was out it was beautiful and so we're at 18,000, you know, where it's not like pass. And I'm like, and Clay's like, yeah, let's do it. So we basically emptied everything out of our backpacks. We left our camp at Denali pass. We didn't even pack up. We were just like, let's go. And I didn't even take, what did I take with me? I didn't take, I, I think I took my avalanche gear, two granola bars and a liter of water. And that was it. I, I, I and like one extra layer of like uh, upper layer because like i wanted to go fast i was like let's move quick and so yeah we i i empty stomach i like forced down a chewy bar or something like that and and yeah we 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 went for the summit and we summited and it was awesome it was it was it was a really cool feeling to be on the summit but it was also um hard to even process right like what was what it was 84 days 84 days from the day we left our house to the summit is what it took us. And from the time we hit the Muldrow Glacier, we summited in seven days once we hit snow, which I, which because we had good weather, it was, it was fast. That's insanely fast. I mean, I, I don't know. What, what would you say is like the standard amount of time? I, I hear people going up. So I've been interested, but I got two young kids and it's impossible to take off for weeks at a time. So our trips to, to like to Alaska are like smash and grab. We try to time the weather right. We try to do like nine day trips and that's including travel. And it's just like, yeah, you could never do that for Denali. Um, right. I mean, at least what we've been told, but uh, unless like all the stars align, but it seems like usually people will try, like spend weeks, uh, a week at camp 14 and, and beyond. Right. Totally. Generally those trips are like three week trips and they fly into 8,000 feet. You know, so yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Anywhere, and I don't know. No, of course, like you know, they they give themselves about three weeks or eighteen days or something like that. And and and, and some parties are strong and they summit quicker. Um, but obviously, it's all kind of weather dependent. So you yes. skied off the. I mean, you snowboarded off the summit. I'm guessing it yep. was pretty crappy snow. Oh yeah, definitely some of the worst skiing in my life. Like definitely blue ice in places. Having to navigate around that. But yeah, we strapped in on the summit. We skied off. Um, we skied back down to our camp. We packed up our camp. We had actually. So the day when you prior, were snowboarding off, did you just were you just holding on to a, an axe? 
Yeah, I just had an axe in my hand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just yeah, just one. Axe in my hand. I think I had like one axe in my hand. I think I had like yeah, an axe in my hand. I think I had my poles out too. Um, so I would put an axe like with my pole, and um, yeah, when I needed it in steeper terrain. But honestly, skiing off the top is like back down to Denali Pass is super casual for the most part. Yeah, you know, there's definitely like okay. you could definitely like screw up and take a slide for life for sure. You got to be careful, but it's not like some super steep skiing. We get snowed in at 14 camp after skiing for a few days. We wait out a storm for like three days and then we start making our way down. And my friend, uh, so Billy Hawes, Adam Fabricant, Noah Howell, and um, and Ben Peters, that's the year that they skied the Archangel. So okay. they were, yep. Yeah. And so they were flying in um, about our pack rafts for us to base camp. So Clay and I did one single push down to base camp. We slept. We picked up our pack rafts. We grabbed some trash bags, threw a bunch of our shit in there. And Adam and those and Billy and no, those guys buried a bunch of food for us. Um, but these ravens got into the food. And so we only had like two or three days, like three days worth of food. We had that too, by the way. You know, we were probably at this point, yeah, like 10 miles from you guys or something down the West Fork of the Kilhopna. One raven flew overhead. Like we were... We were miles from camp, just skiing like some of the, uh, the smaller peaks around there. We're like, oh, wouldn't it be funny if that one raven found our one campsite? Like we were all alone, hadn't seen anyone the whole time. Yeah, that'd be crazy. We go back and our cook tent is just ripped to shreds. Like not the actual tent, but like it looked like a frat party happened in our cook tent. Like all the chips were everywhere. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. It somehow got into everything, unzipped all sorts of things. Like, yeah, it was. It's pretty wild. That raven, I think, does some serious damage up there. <laughs> oh, they do, man, dude. Yeah, the ravens were flying around at like eighteen thousand feet. So yeah, we um we pick up these pack rafts and like you know all these planes are coming in and out. And dude, I just wanted to leave. I was like, I'm fucking done. I'm beat. My, I'm done. But of course, we're committed to this, and Clay was all psyched on it. And like, this is where it gets stupid. So, we leave base camp. We start heading down the Kahilna, and we're going to the Pika Glacier, which is like 21 miles down the Kahilna. You can't really ski it because it's so undulating and up and down. So we're kind of like downhill skinning. And you know, we of course our socks were dirty as shit at this point. And dude, my feet just started getting raw from just downhill skinning just uh, 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 and my socks rubbing well the other thing too is and th- this is a surprise that i think people won't know like you've mentioned how hot it gets but like oh. my feet are my limiting factor every time i've gone to alaska because in these plastic boots like you, they just sweat so you're wet the entire time yeah. um you get them out at night you try yeah. to dry them off nothing really dries because you're trying to like throw them in your sleeping bag to dry your boot liners and socks and keep yeah. your batteries in there and everything else so like after just five days like not i'm not talking that long like my feet are wrecked yeah so we get down we get down we we it just started getting to we're crossing these it's not refreezing at night we're crossing these snow bridges. We're trying to work our way around these ice falls on the Kahilna, and you could just hear water pouring through the ice falls. And it was so sketchy. And we were just so exhausted. And we make it down. And dude, I'm like, I I I like we we set up a camp because we're like, dude, we can't move anymore. It's too hot. And so we just like crawl in this crawl in this little like call in, in the mega mid and the and 
I'm like fucking losing my mind. I, I, I'm like not with clay just in my mind. I'm just, dude, I'm so done, dude. Like my feet were hurt, swollen, red, pussy. Um, mentally I was just fucking out of it, man. Like I was just so out of it. So if it kind of refreezes, we pack up our tent, we get to the pica and I look at clay and I'm like, dude, my feet hurt so bad. Like I was in tears. My feet hurt so bad, dude. And he was like, it's the only time we argued on the whole trip. Clay wanted to keep going. He wanted to pack raft out. And I'm like, dude, we don't have enough food. Like I'm coming up with all these excuses. I'm like, my feet, we don't have enough food. Like the rivers are going to be raging because nothing's refreezing. Like it's fucking the solstice at this point. It's like June 21st. Like we don't have dry suits, man. We got fucking pack rafts and, and, and a and a and a life jacket like we gotta link up three different creeks and to get to the susidna and i'm just like dude and I, i've been a river guide and i i mean that water's so i'm like dude this just doesn't feel right and so clay we argue back and forth we yell, he yells at me i yell at him which is so uncharacteristic of both of us but we were just so spent and finally clay's like all right I'm sorry. And he kind of started crying. I started crying. He's like, I'm sorry, dude. Like, let's, let's get out of here. So I texted Noah on my inReach and I was like, yo, dude, what is the number for? And I had 2% battery left. No battery packs charged, no solar panel because I flew everything out at 14 at, um, at, uh, base camp. And I text Noah, I have 2%. I'm like, yo, dude, what is the number for TAT? He gives me the number. I get in touch with TAT. I'm like, yo, can you guys pick us up on the Pika? And they're like, yeah, we can have a pilot there this afternoon. Pick you up on the top of the pica. I'm like, all right, we're at the bottom. So we got like 3,500 feet to climb. And they're like, he can be there in a couple hours. Well, luckily the pilot was running late. And uh, so we make it to the top of the pica and the pilot flies in, which we actually knew the pilot. There's another backstory behind that, how we met this pilot. But he gets out of the plane, he throws us an IPA and he was like, you boys did it. Like, because we had met him prior to going on the mountain in Talkeetna. And he was so psyched. And he was like, let's get the fuck out of here. I'm like, dude, let's get out of here. So he's like, we put on the headsets and he's like, I'll fly you over your, your exit route. And so for one, the rivers, dude, were like overflowing their banks. They were fucking raging. Like the rivers were for sure going to kill us. Um, like there's no, I, there's no doubt in my mind that we would have survived the pack raft. There's so, there's no so, way. okay. So let's unpack this a little bit. So like, this 2% somehow disappears. And at this point you're like, I don't know. I, I don't know what your discipline's like, but like, do you think you would have put in and tried and then just not made it? Or do you think you would have turned around like wisely? We probably would have, we would have, we would have kept going. Yeah, I don't feel like, I, I mean, at yeah, this point that's like the whole trip, all yeah. the inertia is going that way. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing how all the stars aligned on this. Like, yeah. One thing people don't get either. So I, I've never been on a glacier for that long, but like, I'm just putting myself in your shoes and thinking about this. Like the glaciers are so inhospitable because like it's wet, it's cold. Like, especially I'm, I'm really sympathizing with your feet just cause I have such foot issues on those things. Like it sounds so nice to be biking 80 miles a day and sleeping in a dry place and like laying next to, even if it's next to some dive bar where you can go get Doritos or what, like, and you're not carrying, I mean, 
it's just so different to know that like at the end of this text, I could probably call a plane. They'll come grab me and I'll be in Talkeetna sleeping in like a dry bed. Like 100%. Yeah, pretty amazing. It's yeah. Yeah. And just my feet do my, like, like you said, like my dude, my feet, like honestly, the major factor was my feet. Like, dude, they were so gross. I mean, they're so gross that, so I get back. Um, so he flies us over. So then he tells us, he's like, have you guys ever bushwhacked through like Alder Bush or Devil's Club like this time of year? I'm like, no. And he's like, dude, their yellow jackets make their nest in like the Alder Bush. And there's millions of these things. And the nests are everywhere, thousands. He's like, you would have gotten eaten alive, man. And Clay gives me this funny little look <laughs> in the plane. And I didn't really unpack it until we get to uh, – um, the West, uh, the West Rib uh, burger spot there in Talkeetna, and we're eating a burger. And I was like, "Yo, dude, why were you looking at me like that? Like on the plane about?" The-? He goes, "Dude, I am extremely allergic to Yellow Jackets, like anaphylactic." And I'm like, "Oh my god, dude! Like, yeah, the Yellow Jackets probably would have killed him. The Rivers would have killed both of us. Like, I'm, you know, obviously my dude, my feet were so like I couldn't, dude. I got in the shower and I fucking bawled and I cried, and they were pulsating and like." I couldn't walk. Like I could not walk. I could not put tennis shoes on. I could not put socks on. Um, they were pussing. Um, like I bought these flip flops and I would have to put my arm around clay and he would have to walk me down the fucking road. It was so bad. Like they smelled like burning flesh and, um, they, Dude, it was so disgusting. And I went to this like hemp shop and got this. Like, None of CD this was frostbite, right? No, it was like, just, it was probably just all like sweat and wet. It was like swamp foot. Swamp foot. Totally. Like swamp foot is exactly what it was. Yeah. And, um, to the extreme. And so I got this CBD salve and I started rubbing it on my feet and I propped my feet up at night and slept my feet above my, like above my heart. And so I could like blood could drain and circulate. And, um, and I kept putting like cotton, I bought uh, some new cotton socks and like, you know, after four or five days, I started being able to like kind of hobble around. Um, my feet started to get a little bit better. Um, and we hung out in Takeda and just decompressed for like four or five days. And then we met these people that were driving back to Anchorage. So we threw our bikes um, and a bunch of our shit. They like gave us a ride back to Anchorage. And we kind of hung around Anchorage for like, you know, maybe like two or three, four days. And I was broke. Dude, I was broke. I had no money. I had no money to buy a plane to get home. So my credit cards were maxed out. Like, you know, we basically, we paid for the pretty much this whole trip. And I had to call a friend back in Salt Lake and like borrow a couple thousand dollars from him. So he Venmo me two grand so I could like get food and survive and, and, and buy, get a plane to get home. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was uh, it's a trip actually, of a lifetime. It, it was a trip of a lifetime. And it was so worth it. And like we ended up biking to Girdwood actually during that time. We dropped all of our gear off at REI, biked to Girdwood, hung out in Girdwood for like three or four days. Um, bike. We kind of just like weren't ready to leave. We were just like we knew. I think we knew um, that you know the trip was over. And dude, the blues, the depression after a trip like that just. As much fun as that trip was, and it, I, I have no regrets, and I, 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 there's times where I miss it. Like, 
you know, I, I think back to some of the really tough parts of like, I got Giardia up in the Yukon, woke up in my sleeping bag in the middle of the night, pooping myself, had no toilet paper, had no wipes, had no bathroom. It's like snowing outside and raining. And I, I'm literally, I have crap in my sleeping bag and all over me. Like, you know, and I was sick for like 10, 12 days, like could keep food down, but I had to bike that 60 miles a day. Like there were moments like that on the trip. And of course there were like, those were some lows, but there were some, also some incredible highs. Um, but coming back, man, it was, um, yeah, it was tough because like DPS, <laughs> it was so funny. Me and Clay were on the road and DPS kept putting paychecks into his bank account. And he had like kind of walked away for his job and they were like, yo, when you come back, like come back to work for us. And they were, he was like working production manager or something. And so they were paying him well, but they forgot to take him off payroll. So for the two months we we're biking up there, dude, we're just living off Clay's money. Like my money too. But like, he's like, dude, I'm not going to say anything. So we get to tell Keaton and we're like, oh dude, swear we're like two days from about to like bike around to the North side and like start our journey into the mountains and DPS calls them. They're like, um, yeah. So like, there's like $10,000 here that we, we noticed, like we forgot to take you off payroll and like, yeah, we've been paying you for the last two months, you know? And Clay's like, Oh, Oh, oh yeah. I didn't yeah. Noticed. Oh, weird. Clay was yeah. like, well, he was completely honest. He was like, Oh yeah. Yeah. Like I spent all that. They're like, well, we need that money back. And he was like, I, I don't have it. <laughs> it was pretty funny. He was like, it was, it was great. He was just like, you know what? We'll just, I'm going into the mountains right now for the next like 30 to 40 days. And we'll just have to figure this out when I get back to Salt Lake. Sorry. Like, you know, um, so, that, so that did was, he go back and keep working for him? Yeah, dude. So, okay. So we get back to Salt Lake and. I was working as a river guide and I ended up getting fired from my job. And, uh, basically one reason, cause I was gone so much that summer and, um, I had to go work for my friend who loaned me two grand chase the guy that I, yeah. And, uh, I had to go spray pest control now for the next like three or four months, which was fucking awful. And, um, just basically working off my debts and, you know, um, clay gets back and he goes back to work for DPS and they're like, Hey, we're laying everybody off. We might go under. And this was summer of 2019. They're like, but we're, so take a couple months off. You can collect unemployment because we're going to try and save the company and we want you to come back to work for us. And he was like, all right. So he gets his fucking mountain bike, goes out to the freeway, puts his thumb up, hitchhikes to Durango, Colorado and starts biking the Colorado trail. Meanwhile, I'm sitting at home, like eating ramen noodles and pop tarts like broke and he's collecting unemployment just like having the time of his life on the Colorado trail, you know, keeping the adventure going. And I'm just like in a dark place, you know, cause we had just been living on this, like, well, so no, tell me about this. Cause yeah, you say, yeah. the So I, um, I've obviously, I've never done anything like that. Like not even close. Like this, this was the coolest adventure even just to follow. Um, but I have had those like post objective blues, right? Like um, yeah. I'll run ultra races yeah. or whatever. It's like you train for it all year, you do it. And afterwards you feel that lull. And it sounds like right. you're saying you, you had that pretty big time. Oh, dude. Yeah. Cause like my life had just become, you know, it was, it was eat, ride my bike, make friends, meet people, sleep, 
eat ramen. Like, right, that's and, and it was. I was living on this just in these adventures, as you know, right? Like, I think that's what draws us to these big adventures are, is the unknown and the adventure of it, right? Like, I never knew when I woke up in the morning where I was going to lay my head down that night. I never knew how far I was going to make it that day. I never knew who I was going to meet, what town I was going to go through. And so it was the expiration of all of it, right? It was just like, every day was a journey. Every day was an adventure. Every day was an unknown. And it was so fun and life was so simple. And it was just, I got to ride my bike. I got to meet new people. I got to like work through all these mental challenges in my head um, by being on, I was living on these high highs and these low lows and trying to keep it centered. And um, dude, we were partying and we were just like, dude, yeah, we had no worries, man. Like, and then I got to go climb Denali and, and I got to go do some awesome skiing and, um, yeah. And then I came home and it was like, yeah, just back to reality of just like, I was working a nine to five. I was broke as shit. I was in debt. Like I was 27 years old, 28, just turned 28 years old. And I had no money. I was in debt. Like, you know, um, yeah, I got fired from my job when I got back. And so, dude, I was, I was, I had the blues hard for a while, you know, and I, it was, it was so, it was hard to kind of pull myself out of it. Cause I was just like, didn't have a girlfriend. I was just kind of, life just felt so boring and so mundane. I was just like, what's next? What's next? What's next? I had such a hard time living in the present because yeah, yeah. Like, the bicycle really put me into the present, you know? So yeah, that's one thing that's so amazing about bikepacking trips is like, you're just always, it's like an exercise in mindfulness. I mean, when you're cruising, you're just, you're in the present. You're not thinking about the future. You're just pedaling your bike. It's a pretty amazing experience. I've done very little of it, but what I've done is um, uniquely mindful, I think. So, you know, it sounds like the next big adventure for you, you're getting hitched. Um, yeah. Do, do you see any things like this in your future? You guys going to do any big bikepacking trips or what's the plan? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think um, now that I'm a firefighter and I've been on for like a little over a year, um, it's really hard to take long. I can't, there's no way I can ever take a trip like that, at least for a while, but I can't wait till I retire and maybe do something like that again. Um, <laughs> I still have some next year. I would, I've got some, I really want to, I've been wanting to do this for a couple of years. I want to start in Northern California and I want to um, do a bike tour and like biking and running and link up all the 14,000 foot peaks in California by biking and running. I think oh, that would that'd be, cool. be awesome. <clears throat> yeah. I want to raise well, the divide. I'm loving, what, I'm I'm loving what you're saying because it sounds like you're going into the, you know, working Joe married man lifestyle. So it sounds like we'll be able to hang maybe more because yeah. Uh, yeah. for me, it's perfect. And that's one thing that's awesome about living in the Wasatch is like, I'll tour, you know, three or four days a week. I go to work. I get to like run in the mountains. I get to go climbing. I get to go do all those things. But you're right. It's like, I mean, when would I have time for like a four month trip to bike? Was it, how long was it all together? All together. By the time we left and got home, it was probably like three and a half months. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Which is honestly incredibly fast. Like that does not make sense. Even with spending extra time at, you know, basically like all around on the way back. Like once you actually did the summit of Denali, but yeah. well, this is amazing, Cody. Um, yeah. I think we got some good stuff here. I'm super psyched that you're really close because um, 
yeah, I'd love to just come have a cup of coffee and talk some more. Yeah, absolutely. That'd be great. And let's get out for a run or uh, yeah, a bike or, or whatever. Let's be in touch. I really appreciate your time and thanks for reaching out. And um, I hope it, yeah, I hope it inspires other people that listen to, to, to do it. You know, if you've got the time, like life comes at you fast and I know you know that as well. And if you've got that grand idea, just like go for it, you'll figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll second that. Like I love my life now. Everything is working out really great. I wouldn't have it any other way. But the time for that type of adventure has passed for me. Like it's it's not going to happen, you know, until either I do it like with my kids and they're like 18, which is a long time from now, or maybe in retirement or whatever. So um, yeah, get after it while you can. And I loved uh, how you guys did your trip. And I loved that you guys didn't do it with a ton of fanfare. There was almost no social media present. There was no sponsors. It was just two dirt bags getting after it in the most, I think, kind of pure way. So thanks for doing that. It was an inspiration for me, for sure. Mark on, Greg. I appreciate it. Thank you for that. Cool. Thanks so much, Cody. Have a good one. Yeah. Bye.